People are going to be surprised that I say this because I'm Latino. You know what I hate? Hate. Hate. I hate Hispanic Heritage Month. And I tell everybody who will hear me, take Hispanic Heritage Month and you could shove it right up your you-know-what. Because why in the hell do we get a month? What does that even mean? You know, do me a favor, world, America. Be honorable and respectful and knowledgeable about me as a Latino all year long, not for one month. You know, I never had any idea when we started this podcast that we'd be that we'd be doing as well as we are. I mean, look, this thing that we've this conversation that you and I have been having now for the last what? Oh, almost two months. Not quite, but almost two months. Um, we are we're, we so many of you are reaching out to us and so many of you are connecting with us and so many of you are downloading our podcast that we're setting records that we never in our wildest imaginations thought that we'd be able to achieve. This podcast is growing at 200% right now, if you could believe that. That's really remarkable. And, and, it, and it says something about, forget about me, forget about the show, forget about you, forget about everything, right? What, what, what we're doing here, which I think is just really exciting, is we're addressing uh, a topic, a conversation that no one had ever done before. I mean, really, no, nobody had ever told Latino truths. Nobody had ever addressed, and, and by the way, duh, right? I should have had a V8. How in the hell do you avoid doing this? Nobody had, nobody had ever spoken to or about the issues that affect 20% of the people who live in the United States, Latinos, right? We, we're directly talking about Latino issues with facts, with figures, with information, with metrics, with stories, and all the things that... That, that are so important. And ever since we've been doing this, people have been joining us and saying, hey, I want to be a part of that conversation. You know, people like you and, and you know, and people like George Lopez and people like Carlos Mencia and, and you know, and, and, and people like Jenk Uger. And, and I could go on and on. Producers who are coming out of the woodwork, writers, casting directors in Hollywood who are saying, thank you for doing this. Man, you're saying what I was thinking. And that's why we do this. And that's why we do this. And, 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 and more often than not, guess what happens? We're ahead of the curve. We're ahead of the curve. Here on Agua Media and Rick Sanchez News, we're ahead of the frickin' curve. We were the first ones to tell you. I don't know, was this a month ago or so? I forget. We do so many podcasts. But we did a podcast. It was called The Guillermo Effect. The Guillermo effect is about a guy named Jimmy Kimmel who has a late night talk show. And, and, and all we said was he, he has this show where he makes fun of this poor Mexican guy. And it's so awful and so rude and so unnice. I got nothing against Jimmy Kimmel, but why are you doing this? And, and isn't there somewhere in the recesses of your mind where you go, you know what? I, I know I'm trying to be funny. And I know I'm trying to make money and I know I'm increasing ratings, but what am I doing to this person? Well, guess what? We told you he was doing it with Guillermo, right? Well, guess what? He's doing it again. Yes. Everybody's talking about this. I don't know if you've heard about this, but Jimmy Kimmel at the Emmys decided that he was going to do some really stupid skit. And I only say stupid because what he did was he carried it on too long. 
he did this thing where he was lying down on the floor pretending to be hungover. Okay, maybe funny, maybe not. Whatever. It wouldn't be the first unfunny moment at the Emmys, right? But then all of a sudden, they uh, give an award to Quinta Brunson. Now, let me tell you something about Quinta Brunson. First of all, her name Quinta is a Spanish name. She was named for the word fifth, which is Quinta in, 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 in Spanish, right? Which is kind of cool for me as a Latino, you know? That's kind of cool. She's uh, African. American. Uh, I, I believe, I don't know if she has some Latina in her. She may, she may not. You know, all of us have a lot of stuff in us. But I think she's African-American, but she has a Spanish name. And this woman, I mean, sh sh she goes on to win an award that is absolutely remarkable to think what she did. She becomes the first African-American to be nominated to win this award. It's a big deal, right? It's a big deal. And, and I imagine other people were watching, you know, every once in a while. And this is not to say, this is not to say that if you're, you know, a, one particular nationality, you only cheer for your own. But you know what? I got to tell you something. As a Cuban growing up in the United States, and of course, I hated Castro's communist, communist Cuba. But my dad and I would stay up in our Florida room. And during the Olympics, if we would see the Cuban athlete, Teofilo Stevenson, the boxer or the runners, there's a little part of me that's going, go, go, go. I kind of want him to win because I kind of relate to the guy. I don't relate to him as a communist which he was. Apparently, later on, I read that a lot of these guys, you know, they were treated well by the government better than anybody else. So they were kind of adherent to the communist philosophy. But I, I remember I used to watch the Olympics with my dad. My dad and I would sit there and it's like we were secretly cheering for the Cuban athletes, even though we know we couldn't kind of say that out loud because it's like, wow, you're cheering for Castro's guy. <laughs> you're cheering for Castro's guy. Well, I, yeah, I guess I I'm cheering for a fellow Latino, you know? And last night, th there was a special moment when a woman, um, Quinta Brunson, got this award where African-Americans all over the country were proud of her, as they should be. She grew up in West Philadelphia. I mean, she didn't have it easy. You know who did have it easy? Jimmy Kimmel had it easy. Jimmy Kimmel had it easy. Jimmy Kimmel's dad worked for IBM. He was a high-ranking executive. And by the way, that's okay. It doesn't make him a bad person. I happen to have a little bit of money now, and my kids are good people, you know? Just because he had a rich dad and a rich mom and he grew up in privilege doesn't make him a bad person. But what it should do is it should make him think of other people. And he doesn't think of other people with what he's done with Guillermo, and he didn't think of other people last night. Here, By the way, in case you didn't see it, I'm going to let you hear it. Those of you listening to the podcast, this let me describe this to you. She comes out on stage. She's sitting there. She's about to cry and give her acceptance speech. Everybody wants to listen, but nobody can because Jimmy's fat ass is still on the stage. He's hogging the stage. He's bigfooting the moment. And she has to literally, instead of giving a speech, she has to play into his stupid little skit that he's doing. Here, take a listen. He's lying down on stage like he's dead. Really weird. Jimmy, wake up. I won. Jimmy, 
Okay, hold my phone. Um. <laughs> yeah, it's really bizarre. I mean, she's on stage. She's won the most important accolade of her life. People can't wait to hear from her. It's kind of a cool moment. Look, I didn't watch the Emmys. I was watching the Cowboys lose. But still, you know, sorry, Jerry. <laughs> Jerry, our producer, is a Cowboy fan. <laughs> Zing! I had to get, that was, that was the Jimmy Kimmel in me. I had to get that in there, you know. <laughs> um, but here she is in this special moment, and he takes it away from her. Why would you, do you, and, and of course, look, I'm not saying that Jimmy Kimmel did this because he's, he only would have done that to a black person. He probably would have done that to anybody because it was all about Jimmy in that moment. But man, I got to tell you, it it is not going over well for Jimmy Kimmel. It's in fact he's being assailed. Um, I I think I could share a couple of tweets with you. This is this is what's going on in the Twitterverse. Um, th this first tweet is about white privilege. Uh, you know you know who's really mad about this? It's funny, but you know who's really mad about this? And I get it. African-American women, African-American women. Court Kim writes, I don't know of a better example of invasive, pardon me, invasive white male privilege than Jimmy Kimmel laying in the middle of Kinta Brunson's speech. He had no business, no right to take up space in the way that he did. That's one of the mild ones. I mean, the Twitterverse just blew up. And in particular, I think, with people of color, African-Americans, but in particular with African-American women who felt like that was them, you know? Damn it, finally somebody, I, I do something. Finally, I get some attention. Finally, I'm up on stage. I've worked for, so hard for this moment. And I hate to put it in these terms, but some white Anglo-Saxon dude who grew up with a dad who worked for IBM is taking my moment away from me. You know what? Fuck you. That's, I mean, that's, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't mean to curse, but I mean, that's just, that's kind of what I'm feeling in this thing. You know, Here, here's, a, here's another tweet uh, in this one. I think Jimmy's being asked to apologize. Jimmy Kimmel owes Kinta an apology, but the messed up part is every image of her accepting her award now has his ass on it. White men really are insufferable. Ooh. She goes by at Candace, uh, Candace Benbo if you want to uh, reach out to her and either agree with her or disagree, as people are apt to do on uh, Twitter. And then, guess what? Guess what? Somebody who was, uh, who was watching the, the Emmys responded with a tweet. They, they're probably, they probably listened to this podcast. I don't know. They don't say they do or they don't, but guess what they, guess what this, guess what started trending on Twitter all of a sudden for the first time, because I thought I was the only person who'd ever talked about this, but now for the first time, look at this tweet, or let me read this tweet to you. Take a listen. This is Von Rondim, ethnic dude, no doubt. Jimmy Kimmel's disrespect toward Kinta should come as no surprise. Just look at how he treats Guillermo Rodriguez. Ouch. Scaput! Wow. Um, you know, I, I want to defend the guy. I'm sure he's not a bad guy, but this is now starting Scotty, my dear friend and producer and buddy and cohort and on-air sidekick from time to time. 
Um, and white guy. And, and white, <laughs> white guy, Scotty. Well, hell, your name is Mednick. I don't know how many other ethnic Mednicks are on there. That is a cool name, by the way. You have the coolest name in the world. Hey, listen, um, this is starting to look like a pattern. Yeah, unfortunately. And you know me, Rick. I've, I, I've been – I like to defend Kimmel at times because I think he is – I think he's a comedic genius, honestly. If you look at his body of work overall, I think he's done some really funny things, some groundbreaking things over the years. But I'm done, man. I'm done with it. This this is just I, – I agree with what you said. I don't think he would have done he, – he only did this because she was a black no, woman. No. I think he, he this was his stupid skit. Right. Right. Yeah. It's a joke. Yeah. I'm trying to be funny. Ha, ha. I'm going to play – you have to step over my dead body to get this award now. Ha, ha, ha. Then move on with the joke. It wasn't funny to begin with, but okay, you did it. Then move on. Man, that that one tweet you brought up where the optics of for every picture from now on that you see of the the, the first black woman accepting a, a writing for a TV show. Yes. That's what's going to be in that image forever. Man, those optics are just effing horrible. That's such a special Especially moment, when, too, because we've seen African-American. You know, it's like we always say about Latinos. You know, I, I'm tired of seeing. Well, I'm not tired, but. You know, yeah, Latinos become prominent, uh, prominent uh, as comedians, as actors. You know, it's the sure. dance, dance monkey dance thing that I always say. You know, but but right. but invited to intellectual circles, producers, writers, thought leaders. That's what this woman did. This is not just another African American actress. No, there, there's a lot of African American. She's a thought leader. She's a thinker. She's a producer. She's, she's, you know, like, good for you, girl. You go. It's, a, it's an amazing television show that brings things to the forefront that most television shows don't talk about. Abbott Elementary. I mean, it's a school about, right, Abbott Elementary. It's about a school about an inner city, and I believe in West Philadelphia, about what they go through from, you know, from funding to race to everything. And there's nothing that is off the table in that te television show. It's very groundbreaking. So for her to accept that award at such a pivotal moment, not just for her, but like you said, for black women, for, for black people across the nation to see this, that saying, man, not only can we star in these shows, but we can create them and get a poignant message across. And now it's being crapped on by some funny white guy. Who you have a history to, of in life, you have to, to get outside of yourself. And that's what Jimmy Kimmel doesn't seem to be able to do. I mean, I, I brought this up when I did my podcast on Guillermo. To this day, Guillermo makes me freaking crazy that Jimmy Kimmel does not see that he's making fun of a Mexican dude and saying he's dumb and he can't write and he can't read and he can't talk right. And, and you're making fun of the dude. So you're representing all Mexicans that way, man. I mean, I don't see any Mexicans writing on your staff. There's no Quintas on Jimmy Kimmel's staff. There's no, there's no, there's no Latinos who write for him or produce for him, but he chooses a Latino to make fun of. In fact, he even had an episode. I'm going to, I'm going to play it for you. Jimmy Kimmel actually does episodes where he has his, his, his staff. You know, the writers, as as you would say, Scotty, the white guys and white gals who are the ones he trusts to do his thought leader stuff, the intellectual stuff, making fun of Jimmy's English. Here it is. We are when you turn on the TV or the radio or go to the movies, we are literally a joke. Hi, it's me, Guillermo. I'm going to talk to famous people and get drunk. Let's go. He said. Take her shopping. Women loves shoes. <laughs> How funny, right? 
Take her shopping. Women loves they, they literally do skits where all they do is make fun of the guy. And if it were done a certain way, I would almost say, okay, if he were kind of, um, I don't know. I don't know. But, but here's what I'm saying. It's being done at the guy's expense and it's all about making Jimmy funny. And I don't like it. And I think it's not too far off from what he did to Kinta. I, yeah, I mean, I agree. It, it's it's essentially it's lowbrow humor. It's you know it's going for like the the low fruit the, the low the low fruit on the tree, and it's just outdated, man. Like that 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 type of comedy of oh because you're Mexican you can't speak English ah ha ha say something fun. Yeah. Not only has it been done a million times, but it's just not acceptable anymore, man. Like our culture is trying to move forward past these things. And we can't move past these things when these jokes are still being not just made, but laughed at. I mean, and that's the thing. And, and, and it, it creates a weird paradox because how do you explain to somebody like Jimmy Kimmel, who I'm going to just go out here in my opinion. I don't think Jimmy Kimmel's a racist. No, I don't think the people laughing at that are racist, no. but how do you explain to people that what they're laughing at is racist because then people get defensive and they close off and, it- it, it, you, you know, it, listen, it has more to do with ignorance than racism. And and I'm, I'm always saying yes. you, we just we got to get people to understand other people, damn it. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. part of the problem. I, I, I'll give you I'll give you another example of this. I'll give you another example of this. One of the things that pisses me off, like you think you're doing us a favor. Jimmy Kimmel thinks he's he's in his mind. He probably thinks he's doing uh, Mexicans a favor by putting a, a Mexican on his show and making fun of him. Well, he's still a Mexican. And we're saying, no, Jimmy, there's a lot of qualified Mexican comedians out there. There's a lot of qualified African-American comedians and Latino comedians and Asian comedians. And if you if you really wanted to have a funny Asian or a funny Latino or a funny Mexican or a funny uh, African-American or whatever, are funny anything go get a real funny whatever because they exist there are talented right. creative writers producers who are comedic who happen to be latinos you don't have to grab a guy from the parking lot that's just not right and then say that's what represents mexicanism or latinoism and and i'm telling you that's kind of what they did and, and i'll give you another example scotty I'll give you another example of the same thing. And people are going to be surprised that I say this because I'm Latino. You know what I hate, hate, hate? I hate Hispanic Heritage Month. And I tell everybody who will hear me, take Hispanic Heritage Month and you could shove it right up your you-know-what. Because why in the hell do we get a month? What does that even mean? You know, do me a favor, world, America. Be honorable and respectful and knowledgeable about me as a Latino all year long, not for one month. Don't, 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 don't find one week or one day or right. one month to all of a sudden say, I care about you. Because as far as I'm concerned, that's bullshit. That, that, that's, that's how I feel about Hispanic Heritage Month. And in fact, that's kind of how I feel about all of these. Black History Month, too. In fact, we, you know, you, Scotty, found something for me um, yeah. when we, you and I were having this conversation about Hispanic Heritage Month. And a lot of people kind of bristle when I say this. 
Because it's like, wow, Rick Sanchez is Latino and he hates wow. Hispanic Heritage Month. I get invited to Hispanic Heritage Month events and I say, no, I'm not going. You know what? Don't invite me in October. Invite me in December. Then maybe I'll show up. I don't want to be your monkey. I don't want to be your little Latino who shows up to freaking Hispanic Heritage events along with, uh, you know, the troubadours and the, the, the mariachis. But, but Scotty, he and I were having this conversation and all of a sudden, um, Scotty says to me, you know, I want to play something for you. And this is uh, Morgan Freeman. Fascinating, right? This is what, Scotty? 60 yeah. Minutes? Set this up for us. Si 60, uh, this is uh, Morgan Freeman. I believe it was from 1998, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, this is him on 60 Minutes. Where? Uh, what's the name of the anchor there? Is it uh, Charlie Rowe? Uh, no, it was Chris uh, Wallace's dad, Mike Wallace. Mike Wallace, I'm sorry. It was Mike Wallace asking him about Black History Month, and he was pretty shocked at the answer he got. Yeah, let's listen. Black History Month, you find ridiculous. Why? You're going to relegate my history to a month? Oh, come well, on. What do you do with yours? What, which month is White History Month? <laughs> no, well, no, no, come on. Tell me. Well, the, I'm Jewish. Okay. Which I'm month Jewish. is Jewish History Month? Uh, there isn't one. Oh. Oh. Why not? Yeah. Do you want one? No, no. No. I, 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 I don't either. I don't want a Black History Month. Black history is American history. Black mm. history is American history. Latino Man, Americans, so Latino Americans are Americans. We're Americans. Yes. And we're a part of this melting pot, uh, whether you like it or not. And we want to be respected all year long. We don't want to be celebrated with a mariachi band uh, one month of the year with meaningless uh, speeches and celebrations that have nothing to do with the real issues that are affecting our lives as Americans in this country. And that's why I hate Hispanic uh, Heritage Month. Scotty. I've always had an issue with all the heritage or all the history months or all that, because like he just eloquently said, it's part of American history. Uh, Black History Month, uh, Hispanic History Month, LGBTQ Month. It's all yeah. American history. It, yeah. should, it should all be across the board. It shouldn't be because then everybody, well, what about me? I'm Jewish American. Shouldn't, no, I shouldn't have a month. <laughs> I'm sorry. I shouldn't. What about, and it, the same thing says, I mean, it could be said for everything. I mean, that they do where it's like, oh, today's Father's Day. So today we're going to care about fathers. Well, you don't care about fathers the rest of the year or Mother's mm -hmm. Day. You don't honor your mother any other part of the year, just this one day. You know, no, you're it's, right. It's just a, it's a, it's a it's a marketing it's a marketing ploy where companies can put up the rainbow flag yes. or they can put up uh, yes. Hispanic flag. Uh, you know, choose your Hispanic country and throw that flag up, or put the African colors up and say, "Hey, we support black, you know Black History this month." But what about the other times? You know, and and it becomes it, it almost becomes a joke. I mean, the LGBT one has really become because every corporation changes their logo to a rainbow flag color. Hmm. But what about the rest of the year? Do you not care about gay people anymore? I don't know. It, it's it's kind of the stupidity of our country now, I think. Well, listen, um, I, I just think we shouldn't live in silos. I think we should uh, yes. talk to one another and include one another. And, you know, it should not be a marketing campaign. Diversity is not a marketing campaign. No. And that's part of the white that's part of the white guilt of you know, I hate to say it, but liberals in this country, and I am a liberal, but that's part of the white guilt. It's like, oh my God, what can we do to, to help out these poor people? Because we've abused them for, so I know, let's give them a month. We'll give them a whole month where we get to focus on them. Genius. Hey, good for me, white guy. Hey, I'm not racist. I've seen it a month. Right, right. Celebrate exactly. It. Yeah.
Mm-hmm. You know, right. Like I they mean, don't know anything really... about the Battle of Puebla, but they know how to get really messed up <laughs> on Cinco de Mayo without any explanation or knowledge of what the hell uh, Cinco de Mayo uh, even actually was. So, And that's another part of the story that we Latinos always have a, a, a hard time with. But uh, thanks, Scotty. Appreciate it, man. Hey, you, you, hey, listen, feel better. I know you've got a little bit of a, what do you got, the sniffles or something? I got the sniffles. I got the uh, five-year-old passed to his mother, then passed to me sniffles, you know. Yeah, having little kids in the house, man. That's like Pick a petri dish, man. Ugh. They bring it all. They bring it all, and then you deal yeah, with it. That's uh, it. All right, buddy. Thanks for hanging in there with us. By the way, there's something else going on that we got to talk about, and this one has to do with uh, Russia once again. I mean, the whole world is so enthralled with this uh, Russia-Ukraine situation. The problem with it is that we talk about it in terms as if it were the first and only invasion that has been in the news in any of our lifetimes, right? Like, what a bizarre thing. Oh, my God. One country invaded another country. And, of course, the country that invaded is a horrible, deplorable country because anytime you invade another country, you are automatically the bad person. And the country that's being invaded is automatically, as is the case with Zelensky and Ukraine, as it's told to us by the media, the good guys, the heroes, the ones who can do no wrong. Now, unfortunately, by that argument, then our invasion of Iraq makes us, right, the really bad guys? No? I mean, I don't think I can find a, an American today out there or very few, I should say, whether they're Republicans or Democrats, who are proud of what we did in Iraq. That was a disaster. That was an absolute disaster. Afghanistan, same thing. We invaded a country because we were going to take out some dude. And then finally, after we take out the dude, we stay in for another 17 years. Doing what? Blowing up rocks? I mean... We invaded a country and stayed there for 20 years and then left without achieving a damn thing. Zero. Nothing. We literally left Afghanistan without achieving anything. And we've been involved in Syria. And, you know, according to the United Nations, our involvement in Yemen on beside or on behalf of the uh, of the Saudis has resulted in the death of 50,000 children. So, I mean, th this whole, you know, it gets complicated, this whole invasion thing. And, and the reason I, I, I say this, and nobody knows this better than we do as Latinos, because we all come from countries where we've seen this, you know, uh, the, what Putin is doing in Ukraine, we have seen done in our countries, right? By different countries. And historically, you know, France, speaking of the Battle of Puebla, right? Spain, right? Speaking of Montezuma, who was speaking of Montezuma? I don't know, but I've got heartburn. Uh, <laughs> you, 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 and the United States, I mean, involved in a civil war that our country started in Guatemala because we didn't like the guy who had been elected. We wanted to take him out. So we started a civil war. 200,000 people died. So th this is, you know, you got to know a little bit about history. You got to know a little bit about the world before you start, you know, engaging and flying that Ukrainian flag in front of your house. You know, I'm not picking sides. I mean, certainly not going to not criticize Putin for some of the stuff that he's done. But the decisions that we're making right now in this situation between Russia and Ukraine, I mean, I'll just tell you, 
there there are uh, there are economists out there who will tell you that we need to reverse course and sit down and talk to Russia. Not even so much for our sake as Americans, even though it is for our sake as well, because our economy has been in the skids ever since this situation with uh, the invasion of Ukraine, or as the Russians call it, a military action in Ukraine. Wasn't that the same word that we used to describe the Vietnam War? We never were in war. There was no Vietnam War. There was a Vietnam military action, right? <laughs> Semantics. Um, the, the, the latest thing is that Putin is not being invited to the Queen's funeral, right? What do you think of that? Is that helpful? I mean, does it matter? I mean, the guy's going to go there. I don't know what the hell he's going to do. He's going to, you know do his uh, thing. I guess he's an Orthodox Christian or something. And I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think this whole, you know, he's the devil. He's, we don't talk to him. You know, he's the bad guy. All, all this, it's almost like it's, what are, what are we leading up to here? World War Three? Because I'm telling you, war with Russia is World War Three. And by the way, they have more nuclear warheads than we do. Just in case you're, keeping count. Russia has more nuclear warheads than we do. You want to start that? You want to start that? I don't know. This whole media-driven, you know, breathless, anti-Russia embracing of Ukraine. Most Americans never even heard of Ukraine. They probably still don't know where the hell it is, nor could they find it on a map. And I'm not picking sides here. I'm not saying I'm for one side or the other. We got to do this. I'm just saying, are we going into this with real knowledge? Or are we just being fed whatever the hell bullshit, uh, you know, these people on uh, MSNBC and CNN and Fox and all these other people are just telling us because their sponsors, the war profiteers at Raytheon, and, you know, those other big weapons manufacturers are putting tons of billions of dollars or at least hundreds of millions of dollars into their coffers. So, hey, we ought to be careful with the information they're putting out because they need to say what they're saying. Right. Here's a guy who I, this is interesting. This is Barry Bannister. He's one of the big top economists on Wall Street that they turn to. And I watch CNBC all the time because, you know, I got a few stocks. And I like to watch that. And I'm obviously very interested in the CPI that was coming out this week and what's going on with inflation. And then vis-a-vis -vis what's going to happen in Europe, because Europe, I'm telling you, it, it, we might be able to get out of our inflation situation. And some of the latest numbers, the PPI numbers seem to indicate that prices are finally starting to go down. Yay. Um, we're not out of the woods, but it looks like we might eventually be out of the woods in the next quarter, maybe. Maybe. But Europe, because of the war in Ukraine, they're screwed. And here, here's, here's, um, is there a solution to this problem? This, this, this malaise, this economic malaise that's about to take on the global economy, especially the European economy. We need to find a solution for that or people, regular people like us will suffer because of the conditions that are going to be brought about by this. And they asked this question of Barry Bannister. I happen to be watching CNBC and I go, wow, here's an interesting answer. Here, let's take a listen. 
The U.S. and Europe are going to have to sit down and talk with Russia. Uh, the terms of trade combined with the rate differentials are driving European and Japanese currencies right through the floor. They're already at sub-basement level three, headed to the core of the center of the earth. They're going to just burn up. Uh, the, the winter is going to be brutal for Europe uh, with gas and oil, and their terms of trade, as I said, is weakening their currencies. So uh, they have to buy oil in dollars, and their currencies are pretty much worthless. So from Britain to Eurozone to Japanese yen, it's tragic. It's tragic. Now, you're not going to hear that. Nobody would allow somebody to say that on Fox or MSNBC or CNN or even to a certain extent, the New York Times or any of the other corporate media, because they will have seen it before it happens and they would have just taken it out and make sure you couldn't hear that. But this is a these are a bunch of people just talking about the inflation and the economy as like they do on CNBC, which is why I like sometimes watching television when I know stuff isn't scripted. You can't take it away. It's gone. He said it. And, and what he just said right there is not something you hear all the time in the United States because we're not allowed to say, you know, maybe we should talk to the Russians because if we talk to them, we might be able to figure this damn thing out. We might be able to find a solution to this because if we don't find a solution and the Russians continue to say, look, you're going to sanction us, we're going to sanction you. <laughs> you know, Europe depends on Russian oil. And Russian natural gas. And the Russians are saying, hey, find it somewhere else. And by the time they get it from someplace else, like it comes from, let's say, the United States. Oh, sure. You know, I'm sure as, as an American, I want them to use our, 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 our natural gas and our oil, or, or our oil. The problem is it's so expensive for them, it's going to drive down their economies, their inflation then becomes our inflation because it's an entire global economy. So now we got a problem here. This is, I mean, th th this is a fascinating thing that's going on right now. And, you know, to tell Putin, you can't come to a funeral. We won't talk to you. We're going to continue sanctioning you. We're going to give the other side you're fighting against bigger weapons. I just, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure I have the answers. But I'm not sure the present course is correct. Peter Kuznick is a professor of history at uh, American University. He knows this stuff, studies this, kind of has a, a, a different perspective than the ones that you would normally hear when all they put on some of those other channels that you hear is, you know, generals and people from the State Department basically just saying the same thing over and over again. I know. I mean, I get it. Putin bad, Russia bad, Ukraine good. Putin bad, Russia bad, Ukraine good. I mean, that's it. And no matter what happens in the war, they only tell it from one perspective. That's not healthy. That's not healthy. So that's why we bring in Peter, because I think he, he he can share a little bit of a uh, of a different perspective. First of all, Peter, thanks for joining us as usual. Um, let's start with this Barry Bannister quote that I found the other day watching uh, CNBC. What do you think of what he says? We're not hearing anybody say that right now. The only thing they want to talk to Russia about is having Putin concede defeat, and then they can celebrate that Russia's been defeated. Um, you know, it's unfortunately, it's not happening. There's no negotiation right. going on between the Russians and the Ukrainians. Uh, you know, everybody's to blame. As, you know, I, I, there are just no good guys left. 
on the planet right now. The fact and that th- th- this this Barry Bannister fellow, who I find fascinating to come out and say that on CNBC, and like I said, he would not be allowed to say that on any other. He would not be allowed to say that on MSNBC. He would not be allowed to say that anywhere else. And if they knew he was going to say it, they wouldn't invite him. But the fact that he's coming out and saying, with metrics, he's not saying, oh, I like Putin. I don't like Putin. I like this guy. This guy's a hero, whatever. You know, all the BS soap opera stuff that we hear. He's laying out the metrics and saying, this is what's going to happen economically to Europe if we continue down this path of ostracizing the Russians. This is what they're going to do. And this is the effect it's going to have on the global economy. I think that's brilliant. Well, there's a dilemma. And the question is, what? how do you apply enough pressure on Russia to come to the negotiating table? The people who are behind the sanctions were thinking, hoping that this was going to do it. It clearly hasn't. The Russians have suffered less so far, certainly than the Ukrainians. Ukraine's economy, its GDP, was down 45% this past since this began. Expected to drop 45% this year. Uh, you know, so Russia has not been the one who's suffering. Everybody is suffering yes. as a result. Couldn't you actually make an argument? And I, I don't know all about this. You probably do. I understand that Russia has said, okay, you don't want our oil. So now they're discounting their oil to Iran, China, uh, India, uh, Pakistan, and essentially. Yeah. They're doing the same amount of business they used to do. And apparently their monetary uh, value has increased. It's The ruble is the highest it's been in 20, 30 years. Am I wrong? No, the Russian economy bounced back. I mean, initially it looked like there was going to be, remember the original estimates that the Russian GDP was going to drop 15%, then 12%, then 8%. And now they're saying maybe 4 to 6%. I love history and I love uh, foreign policy discussions like this. And it always comes back to, I'm going to put pressure on you to get you to do something. Sometimes it works. I think, historically speaking, sanctions rarely work. Am I wrong? No, you're right. Even with a country like Iran, who's been so cut off from the rest of the world economy, the sanctions have not made them play ball along the t- in the terms that the United States or Israel or Saudi Arabia might want. Uh, so sanctions have not really worked. Uh, and th- th- what we're doing now is hurting the American people. It's hurting the Europeans. It's hurting the Africans. It's hurting the Latin Americans. It's hurting the Russians, hurting Ukrainians. You know, we got to put figure out a way to get them to sit down and negotiate this. And we had it beforehand, the Minsk II agreement, uh, which was negotiated by Ukraine, France, Germany, and Russia, provided a basis for resolving this. And when Zelensky came to power, when he was first elected, he said that he was going to reach out to the Russians and come to some peaceful resolution. And he was threatened with hanging. They threatened to lynch him inside of Ukraine. Ukraine there was a, a, a nationalist element inside Ukraine. And maybe we could understand why they don't like the Russians at this point. But as I said, we don't want, we want to make, drive Russia out of Crimea, the Donbass, and uh, we're not going to al- accept anything that allows the Russians to maintain uh, any territory that had belonged to Ukraine. So, you, you I mean, we've got all these competing nationalisms. 
And that's what we're up against around the world. People with these parochial views who see the through the lens of their own country's but, power. But that's but, but that okay, but we know that, right? Uh professor, we understand that people are always gonna have parochial views. And you know, look, I'm Cuban, I'm in Miami, everything is, you know, Castro, Castro, Castro. If you uh come from uh, Venezuela, it's gonna be Chavez, Chavez, Chavez. In that part of the world, it's Putin, Putin, Putin. And 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 we 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 make our heroes and we create our demagogues, and I get all of that. But I'm a I'm a business guy, I'm a metrics guy. I like to look at numbers and results. And when I look at this situation in particular, and I hear the drum beat on, and they, you know, MSNBC and hell, ESPN, <laughs> every channel, it's like, boom, boom, war, 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 kill, kill, kill. Like it's, it's, it's also one-sided and I'm not necessarily taking sides with anybody here, but I'm looking at the results and I'm looking at what they're telling me and it doesn't match up. I just told you about the ruble. As soon as I Googled it, it says it's at the highest level it's been at in 25 years. The main reason for the ruble's immediate recovery is soaring commodity prices. I'm reading to you now. This is from the Googles. Uh, after Russia invaded Ukraine on February 24th, already high oil and natural gas prices have risen even further. Therefore, Russia is benefiting from these oil prices and it's increasing their economy. I mean, they're, I'm being told, oh, they're, they're on their death now. And now the Ukrainians are taking over all the country, all the part of Ukraine that the Russians had taken over. And when I look at it or when I look at the foreign press or when I look at what they're reporting in India or in other countries, it's like, wait a minute, that's kind of not true. And Russia doesn't seem to be on its knees. But yet, if we continue to do this, and I'm getting to a question, I apologize for the long, for how long it's taken me to get there. If we continue to do what we're doing, you can't go to the funeral for the queen. We're not going to talk to you. We, we're going to just continue to punish you. We're going to increase more sanctions. I just, I, I'm not seeing results from any, from this strategy. I, I, I don't think it's going to work, Professor. You know, Rick, if, if, if it did work, if Russia was punished for this invasion, uh -huh. if the U.S. had been punished for invading Vietnam yeah. or invading Afghanistan or invading Iraq, or the, the NATO with with Libya. Uh, I mean, I would like to see all of these aggressors, all of these invaders, all of these militarists <laughs> punished. You know, but it doesn't work that way. Right. The world we're in, the United States, was not sanctioned. It was not in any way uh, ostracized for its invasions. And Russia is not going. But it's interesting, though. While the Europeans and the United States have gone along with these sanctions and hurt themselves in the process and hurt Russia to some extent in the process. Most of the world has not. You know, most of the world is not going along with the sanctions, partly because they see through the hypocrisy of the sanctioners. You know, so we're dealing with a couple of things now. One is the queen, right? Uh, I haven't seen as much on MSNBC or CNN about Russia lately because it's 23.5 hours a day about the queen, you know? And so, you know, Putin is lucky to not be invited. I, I mean, I, I envy him for not going. But, but, it, it, has, it has gotten a little monotonous, hasn't it? And it's like, I was watching the other day and it was like, and now we're going to see Princess Gertrude. And I'm going, who the hell is Princess Gertrude? I don't know. But watch how delicately she raises her hand and picks up a rose, picks it up from where it was, and places it next to one of the resting places for the queen. 
masterful the way she did that. And I'm thinking, what the hell is this? Why are we? I'm first. I, I mean, I feel bad. It's worth coverage. It's a, a legitimate news story. It's interesting to watch maybe the funeral, but they're going way beyond that. It's like fanaticism. I mean, I seem to remember that the United States water, fought a war against the British, so that we weren't part of the British Empire. We weren't a colony anymore. But our our media hasn't figured it out. I got so desperate to find something on the television other than the Queen, I even turned on Fox News. And, you know, that, that, uh, and that that's anathema to me. But they were talking about something else. They were talking about Biden. Uh, all the things that are terrible. Well, there you go. Time. King Biden. I mean, but, yeah. but King Joe. I, I contrast the coverage of Gorbachev, mm-hmm. who's a historic world figure. You mean his Changed, death. You mean his death. Yeah. The coverage of Gorbachev's death. And they'd focused on it for a couple hours the first day. And there was some discussion. Mostly they celebrated that the United States won the Cold War, thanks to Gorbachev. Uh, however, you know, but then it was gone. And yeah. and the, the Queen is just nonstop. It's been seven days now of wall-to-wall coverage of the Queen. The only break I see, you talked about Bannister. There was one discordant note on that, and that was Ali Velshi on MSNBC. And Ali was born in Kenya, and he's and he's... And he gave an actually honest historical account about what the British Empire has done. Yes. And the crimes and the travesty and the suffering as a result. And the queen overseeing the military resistance to colonial movements during her reign. You know, and so I mean, that I was a breath of fresh air to be on media. Ali wouldn't be able to get away with critiquing the American Empire mm-hmm. on MSNBC. But somehow, I don't think he's been fired yet for this honest account of the British Empire. But, you know, American media is pathetic. Well, he probably will be, by the way, because, you know, they don't do these things right away. Um, It's funny, I was having a conversation the other day with Jack Uger. He was here. I had him as a guest on my show. And he said, Rick Sanchez, you know when I knew that CNN was going to fire you? And I say, no, Jack, I, I don't know. He goes, about three weeks before you were fired, I heard you doing a segment in particular on how it is that large corporations in the United States buy our politicians and how the electoral system is completely rigged and how those things that they call political donations are, in fact, actually bribes. That's what they are. It's corruption. And I would not only call it out, but I did a segment where I would match the donor to the politician and then show the politician's voting record showing that there is a quid pro quo between who gets who gives you money and then what you do as a result as a policymaker. And I was doing that every Tuesday on my show as a special segment, and it wasn't going over well with the bigs at CNN because they make their money off of the money that politicians give them to buy commercials to keep the to keep their company afloat. And my doing that was not a message they wanted on the air. So I was starting uh, to get heat already. And then one day, poof, you're gone. But Rick, that was the enlightened progressive CNN leadership. <laughs> now, been, now the guy at the top is far to the right of the yes. people who hired you. you know, and, and I think any talk of any progressive ideas, even standard liberalism, is going to be verboten on CNN now. Hey, before I let you go, uh, back to this situation. 
with uh, Russia. Um, he, he does make a good point, does a Barry Bannister. And I, I've always thought that if you want to affect change, affect people's pocketbooks, right? And, you know, saying Putin's a good guy, saying Putin's a bad guy, saying Zelensky's cute or he's not or he this or that or, you know, r r putting somebody's flag in front of your house, eh, whatever, you know, part of the soap opera. But when you can make an argument that if we continue down this path, it's going to hurt Wall Street, it's going to hurt Citibank, it's going to hurt Morgan Stanley, it's going to hurt the European banks, it's going to hurt the euro. I, you, you, you know, you may be then on to something there, Professor. If, if we do finally turn and figure this thing out between Ukraine and Russia, rather than just let Raytheon run amok by proposing that we continue the path we're on now because they're making a lot of money on it, um, by sending more of their product to Ukraine. Um, don't you think if we come at it from uh, nuts and bolts, a dollars and cents point of view, we might be able to get a little more common ground on this thing? I think that makes sense. Um, I mean, we're, we're just in a particularly bad moment in terms of the advice, the, pe the people surrounding Biden, the people surrounding Zelensky, people surrounding Putin. I mean, we have nobody who is thinking rationally from the standpoint of how we end this with as little suffering as possible before this escalates. I did an interview this morning about North Korea. The North Koreans came out last week with their new nuclear doctrine, which dramatically lowered the threshold for the use of nuclear weapons on the part of North Korea. Good. We've, we've I got, didn't know yeah, that. Well, no, not well. It's not good what's, that they've lowered the threshold oh. because it makes the use of nuclear weapons uh, that much more possible. Oh, they now, oh they lowered now, their threshold for their uh, use for of nuclear weapons. Okay, yes, right. Yes. Before you had to go, before you had to jump this hurdle, but now you only have to jump this short hurdle before you get a stack. I get it. I get it. Now they can use it preemptively. Not only you get nuclear powers, but countries allied with nuclear powers who are threatening an invasion or any kind of overthrow of the leadership or the command and control structure. I mean, we're, we're just in this tinderbox now. Uh, we, the tension over Taiwan, the tension over Ukraine, uh, the situation on the Korean Peninsula, India, I mean, India and Pakistan is always ready to explode. Is that all about money, though? I mean, the people who are pushing these narratives, isn't that, am I wrong to think it's it's the Raytheons of the world and the, and, and the other uh, weapons manufacturers who need these conflicts for their company's yeah, they, bottom they line? They it and, and they, they make, they profit off it. But I don't think that's the only thing that's driving it. We also have ideologues in each country. Uh -huh. We've got the people who want to make America great again, want to make Russia great again, China great again, India great again, even England. What's what's Liz Trust doing in, in, in England? Again, they're, they're all narrow-minded parochialists and nationalists who think that there are military solutions to these problems that have no military solution. And, wow. and you know, so I, I condemn them all. But we have to start waking people up globally, you know, to put pressure on these on these governments. And that, unfortunately, is not happening right now. It's a perspective often not shared. And uh, Professor Peter Kuznick, uh, history professor, American University, you've written many books. Uh, what's your last one that you want people to look at? 
Well, they should still look at my the one that Oliver and I did. We put out a 2019 edition of the Untold History of the United States. My most recent books are actually in Japanese, so most people probably would not be able to read them. But uh, the key to the understanding of the geopolitics and the global crisis is in the untold history of the United States. I got to tell you, I cannot, once I engage in the documentary form of the book, stop watching it. Um, I guarantee you, if you go and to Netflix and you put in Untold History of the United States, written by Professor Peter Kuznick, uh, and if you start at, let's say, 8 o'clock at night, at 3 o'clock in the morning, you'll still be there because it's almost impossible to turn away from it. And uh, it, it, it's, it's, you know, I said earlier, I love metrics. I love facts. I love information. I love for me for things to be laid out, not in terms of opinion, but in terms of what actually happened, as we say in Spanish, hechos, right? Facts. Um, well, if you want that, you got to see the untold history of the United States or buy the book. Either way, because it's uh, it's it's a fascinating tell. And again, it, it's what we do here. What do we do here? We give perspectives that you won't hear anywhere else, right? We give perspectives that you won't hear anywhere else. And we say the things that sometimes people are thinking but are afraid to say. And 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 I think that's what makes a great democracy. We think that's what great what makes a great story. And and that's what we like to do when we tell stories here, Professor. Rick, that's one of the things that's missing, unfortunately, in Russia right now. It's missing in China. It's missing in the United States on mainstream media. Any kind of dissenting voices, debates, create critical thinking outside the box. But you mentioned about the brilliance of Untold History documentary series. I want to give a shout out to Oliver Stone because he was able to take the words that he and I wrote together and make them so visual, so dramatic, so compelling that each, each episode is directed as if it was a feature film with the same kind of power of Oliver's feature films. So I, I want to just make sure people appreciate the brilliance that he lent, brought to that project. Yeah, it's fascinating, especially when he talks about everything changed in America after World War II and why that happened and why we ended up with the president uh, that, that, that we did. Uh, we'll save this for another conversation, but it was, it was just fascinating. And it all led up to that moment when we then heard Eisenhower say, beware of the, of the, uh, of the no, industrial uh, complex. Yes, yes, yes. What you were talking about before the people profiting off all the warfare, all the killing, every time the bombs go off, every time the artillery shells, Every HIMAR rocket, you know, is money in these people's pockets. Yeah. So, you know, and it's been that and, way. And then tying it all together, those are the same people who are putting money in the pockets of politicians yeah. to let exactly. them continue doing what we're doing, what they're doing, which is essentially fleecing us and giving us bad information because not only are they buying the politicians nowadays, and God, I hate to say this because I'm a journalist and I'm proud to be journalist, a journalist. I'm proud to be, you know, an American journalist, but my peers have been bought out as well, just like some of most of the politicians in the United States. And listen, I just got to say it because because it's because it's the damn truth. So this is Agua Media. That's what we do on here. Rick Sanchez News. If, if you've never heard anything like it, please lock us in. Keep listening. We're doing two or three podcasts a week. 
if you've got somebody that you know wants to hear something like this or you think should, let them know. Get the URL and send it to them. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple. We're everywhere. And we are exploding. We're growing at 200% right now. If you happen to be watching us or watching this clip on uh, YouTube, then also subscribe. And thank you very much. And as we like to say to the professor, adelante. Thanks for being with us. And we'll catch you on the flip-flop. Check. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you, Professor. Agua.